0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Let's pray together, shall we, as we uh, think about this passage. Heavenly Father, you've revealed yourself to us in your son Jesus. We think back to those early words in the book of John that no one has seen God But God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, meaning you, Lord Jesus, have made him known that you have come into the world to reveal the Father to us. And you have your words, therefore, are the words of the Father. So, Lord, Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you that you have come into the world to set us free. We pray we'd learn about this, how you set us free, uh, not just in a once and for all amazing, profound way at rebirth, but also every day in an ongoing way. Help us to learn this. To uh, Would you, by your grace, apply it to our hearts? And uh, we pray you change us this, this morning and make us more like Christ. Help us to know you better and grasp the, the riches and glory we have in the gospel and the wonders of being in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so we're in our second week of looking at the book of John. We're going to focus this week on verses 31 to 48, uh, mainly. And we see here the context, the setting is Jesus is in this crowded temple. It's a big feast. Uh, Jesus is in the busiest part of the temple and he's made some astonishing declarations about himself. Just a couple of those declarations you can see in verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. We heard... Teaching on that a couple of weeks ago. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Uh, so he's calling people to follow him. To come to the light. He Earlier in back in chapter 7. He, he stands up and he says. If anyone is thirsty come to me and drink. Here's this man saying these amazing things about himself. And then you can see in this chapter 2. He says that apart from me. If you don't believe in me you'll die in your sin. You need me to be free from sin. What's the response to this? We see this back and forth going on, this real reaction from the people. And we saw last week that despite plenty of evidence, uh, people's hearts were hard. There was an an issue with their hearts that they didn't want to believe. And so today we're going to talk about this idea. We need to be radically born again. Do you remember in chapter 3 when Jesus said that to Nicodemus? He said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And really, in some ways, he's unpacking that here in this chapter. So we're continuing on today. And in this passage, we see some of the strongest words we'll ever hear about Jesus, uh, about himself, and about the people. Some of the most potentially offensive words about them, and astonishing words about himself. And he declares this about us. Think about this. He declares, you and me, and all people, by nature, slaves to sin and death. That we are born in slavery to sin and death, and we desperately need freedom. I wonder if you believe that. Do you believe that you're born in slavery to sin and death? That you desperately need freedom? If you are following Jesus, do you believe that he has set you free from sin and death? Do you experience that freedom in your life? Jesus, the good news is that Jesus has come to give us once for all freedom. And ongoing freedom as well from sin and death. He came to destroy that mastery. So let's have a look at John 8, 34 to 36. In some ways, these are the central verses today. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That includes all of us. Let's just get that out there. All of us. And if you unpack the book of Romans, you look at the book of Romans, it it just lays this out completely. There's no doubt about it. We're all slaves to sin, regardless of our upbringing, regardless of how much we've been to church. By nature, we are slaves to sin. We, we We are guilty of rebellion against God. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free... You will be free indeed. So the great news today is that Jesus is passionate to set you and me free from sin. That's what he came to do. To set us free from sin, death and Satan. So we're going to see how that happens today. So here's the outline. Three points. Uh, Our desperate need for freedom. Uh, Second section, God's heart for our freedom. And third one, how the truth sets us free. Actually, I've got up there, who, who is our father, haven't I, for the first point? That's right. Who is my father? Right. I received from the boys at Father's Day a Darth Vader mug. Kind of a humorous mug. And it says on it, I am your father. <laughs> and um, it's perhaps the most famous kind of movie spoiler ever, isn't it? And the famous twi- most famous twist in a movie uh, where Luke actually realises that Darth Vader is his dad, his father. And, of course, his response is utter rejection of this idea, utter denial of it. And he says, love the expression, and he says, that's impossible. He says he can't deal with it. Luke has to come to terms with this reality that his father is probably the most horrible, or second most horrible tyrant in the whole galaxy. Um, Now, Jesus makes this kind of world-changing declaration to the people in the crowds. He rocks their world with this hard truth. Have a look at it in John eight thirty-one to 33. He tells them about who their dad is and what their roots really are. They don't want to believe it. He says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free they answered him we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone how can you say that we will be set free so he's making a declaration about them and he goes on to to expand on it but he says actually you're slaves you need freedom and the people react against this idea don't they they understand that what Jesus is saying is if he's come to set them free they must be captive to something and they don't like the idea And they say, we've never been slaves to anyone. There's an irony in their comment, uh, comment, isn't there? Have the Israelites, have the Jewish people ever been slaves? Of course they have. In fact, it's a core part of their identity, isn't it? That they were slaves in Egypt. What do we know about them? Well, God appeared to Abraham. And you know when God made that covenant with Abraham, who was the father of all the nation of the Jews. Yeah, he made the covenant to them. He said, I'll give you a land, make you a great nation, and in Genesis fifteen thirteen, he said this. He said, know for certain, this is right at the start in his promise. Know for certain that for 400 years, you, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. And afterward, they will come out. So right at the start, this is a core part of the identity of the Jewish nation. What does that tell you about how they're thinking? They've forgotten God's grace. They've forgotten his rescue. They think that it's up to them. And you know what? This is what lies do. And we're going to unpack this later on, the effect of lies. That they cause us to forget what God's done. And they cause us to to forget about ourselves, what we need and who we are. Lies are really dangerous and enslaving. We'll talk more about that later. But Jesus reveals perhaps the hardest words to them. Have a look at verse 44. Maybe these are the hardest words Jesus speaks to anybody. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Now, maybe that looks like a really harsh thing for them to say. That he's saying, the devil is your dad. And you can imagine, obviously, their response is like Luke Skywalker. They totally reject it. They don't want to know about this. That's impossible. It's not, what is he saying by saying that your father is the devil? He's not calling them overt Satan worshippers. What's he saying then? Like Luke Skywalker, all of us have a father. All of us have a father. And none of us have a say in who that is. That's true in a physical sense. We all have a dad. None of us have a say in that. But it's true in a spiritual sense too. And Jesus is pointing this out. And our spiritual father is the one that we follow, the one that we emulate, the one that we do the works of. Now, think about this. As you grow up, you emulate your parents, don't you? And I realised this as a high school teacher, back a while ago when I was a high school teacher, we'd have these parent-teacher interviews. And, you know, it, it would reveal so much about the child to me. Some of the interesting mannerisms, or the way they spoke, or some of the frustrating things they did, or their real attention to work. When you saw their parents, you understood why a lot of why they were like that. I was just setting up my microphone before, and Sam Borlach was talking to me. For a while, I thought I was talking to a little version of Pete, the way he talks. Yes, Pete, I'll do that. (laughs) In a spiritual sense, we have a father, and that father is the one we emulate or follow, Jesus is God's true son because he does exactly what the father does. He follows the father in everything. Have a look at verses 28 and 29. Jesus says this, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. I always do what pleases him. But the people around, they want to put Jesus to death. What does it say about who their father is? What does it show about their hearts? Look at Jesus' diagnosis of their hearts, verse 38 and 41. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence. You are doing what you have heard from your father. If you are Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. So their response to Jesus, their hatred of him, shows that they're following somebody else. Who are they following? They're actually following Satan and his lies. They're not doing what Abraham did. And Jesus points out this hard reality that either God is our father or Satan is is the one who has us captive. And we we can't help but do what he tells us to do. That we are slaves to him. There's no middle ground. I wonder if you believe that. Maybe you think that's a depressing thought. If you don't know Christ, you don't follow him, then you're captive to Satan and sin and death. Perhaps that seems like a depressing thought. Maybe it might be better uh, to believe positive things about yourself. But the Lord wants us to be free. It's not enough for him. It's not enough for him that we believe positive things about ourselves and deny this desperate reality. He wants us to have freedom. G.K. Chesterton said this really helpful quote. He said this, The modern philosopher had told me again and again that I was in the right place and I still felt depressed, even in acquiescence. Even when I agreed with the idea, I was depressed. But I heard that I was in the wrong place and my soul sang for joy like a bird in spring. So actually, there's freedom in acknowledging our condition. That's the first step to freedom, but there's no freedom in ignoring the reality of our sinful nature. Imagine you're part of an army, a liberating force that's come in Um, and and freed a a land from enemy occupation. And you you come into a prison camp, you open up the gates, and you start declaring to the prisoners, you're free. It's over, the war's over, you're released. You can imagine that it might take a long time for, for that idea to sink in for a lot of these prisoners. But imagine you come across a prisoner who actually doesn't even believe they're a prisoner. That's a different problem, isn't it? We would assume some sort of mental problem, some sort of illness, some sort of blindness to their reality indicates a deeper problem. Now, Jesus wants to free us from this. Our first step to freedom is acknowledging that we're actually born in captivity to sin. And you know, this is the idea, is that we are unable to do what God wants. That's the idea of captivity to sin. And our only desire is to rebel against God. We're born under the, the mastery of these powers. Have a look at verse 30, sorry, 43. And Jesus says this. He says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. See, they're slaves to something else. They're not at liberty even to hear the truth. That's really sad. That's the condition that we're in, uh, born in, in the sinful nature. We're actually unable to even believe the first step is to receive Jesus' diagnosis that we need a new heart. But the hearers, what's their response? Look at verse 47 and 48. Whoever belongs to God here, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And the Jews answer him, aren't we right? in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon possessed. They hate him. They hate him. They refuse to believe it. It's no different today, isn't it? How common is it getting increasingly common, I think, for people to verbalise their hatred about God's character? He's a tyrant. He's a moral monster, some of these new atheists say. He's a thought policeman. Or, or maybe he's just so distant that he's uncaring. He, he's aloof to my suffering. Either he's powerless to deal with it, or he doesn't care. Or he's a, he's a killjoy. He's a violator of human rights. Maybe he doesn't exist at all. The human heart hates God, doesn't want to listen. Doesn't want to accept him. What's he really like? We're going to look at his heart in our second section here. God's heart for freedom. What is God's true heart? We've had a lot of, uh, on the news about Ebola workers in Africa. And we applaud them, don't we? Their, their, their sacrifice and the risk that they take going into Africa, risking uh, catching this disease. But not only that, but the community hostility uh, against Ebola workers is actually quite strong. I'll just read something from an article. It has become common for health workers combating Ebola to face threats, intimidations, sometimes even violence, at the hands of the populations they have come to help. In Guinea, the refusal of some communities to cooperate, coupled with active hostility in some instances, forced the MSF to quickly evacuate several areas of intervention and also temporarily suspend activities. So to stop, uh, pull out these workers. In February of this year, the Guinean Red Cross estimated that its employees had suffered an average of 10 attacks per month on their workers, ranging from verbal to physical assaults. And the most dramatic episode to date took place in southeastern Guinea, September 2014, when eight people from a governmental delegation raising awareness of Ebola were assassinated. Wow. Now, the lies that these people believe about the workers, that maybe they're caught, they're kidnapping children, or all kinds of lies they believe about these workers, cause them to hate them. Reject the people they've come to help. It's not the first time this has happened. It happened with Jesus. and Last week... We saw that Jesus made the most astonishing declaration ever that a person could really make. And we're going to look at what he means here. The most radical declaration. He declares himself to be the I am. He declares himself to have God's name, Yahweh. He actually gives himself that name in front of the people. What's their response initially? What's their immediate response? Have a look at verse 57. You are not 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. He's blaspheming, they think. The penalty for blaspheming in the Jewish law is death. They pick up stones to stone him. And in doing so, they miss the amazing significance of what they've just heard. They're hating and rejecting the one who's come to save them. But think back to the significance of this. When's the first time Jesus revealed his name? Can you remember? We learned it earlier this year. It was when? At the burning bush episode, and there's Moses. And God appears in the burning bush. And he, he tells him his name, I am. But what's the situation? What's God wanting to do at that point? He's wanting to rescue the Israelites from slavery, isn't he? So we're just going to put up here Exodus 3, 6. And it says, Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then going on. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. What's God's heart for his people? It's to rescue them from slavery. That's the situation when he reveals his name, the I am. And what about now in John 8? Jesus is saying the same thing. What's the situation? He's come to rescue them from slavery. It's exactly the same kind of context And Jesus is saying, I'm not just a descendant of Abraham. I'm Abraham's God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And I'm going to bring about a mighty exodus. That's what Jesus is saying. And hence the words we read before. Have a look at them. Verse 34. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free... You will be free indeed. And Jesus has come into the world precisely for this reason. As to bring us freedom. to make an exodus happen. And this is exactly what the Messiah came to do, isn't it? Do you remember the prophecy that Jesus read out in the synagogue in Isaiah 60? He read out these words of Isaiah 60 and he said, this is about me. And we'll just put them up. This is, this is the Messiah's job description. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Do you realize how good news that is? That's for you and me. That Jesus came precisely his job description was precisely to free us from slavery. And that's God's heart. He's not a heart. He's not sorry. He's not a God that doesn't care about you. He's not a God that's unable to help And he's not a God that's aloof and a moral monster. He actually is passionate about your freedom and my freedom. What did he do to demonstrate that? He was willing to incarnate into the world and to die on a cross to purchase your freedom. Now, how does he do this? Okay, We're going to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 2 here and just see, just unpack this. I think it's such a relevant verse, I couldn't help but put it in here because it helps us. And it describes these two ways that Jesus has brought us this freedom. Have a look at Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. Think about the two ways here that Jesus brings about our freedom. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus too, shared in their humanity so that by his death... He might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, i.e., like Romans says, not those who are just born Jews, but who walk in the footsteps of faith of their father Abraham, who trust in Jesus. For this reason, he had had to be made like them, fully human in every way. That he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. See, there are two ways there that Jesus brings about our freedom. One is that he makes atonement for our sin. Have a look at verse 17. You can see that. He makes atonement for our sin. Number two is that he continues to help us in an ongoing way with temptation. Now we're going to look at these two ways and try and get practical. These two ways that Jesus deals with our sin. So third section here, how does the truth set us free? I've come across uh, people connected with uh, working against the sex trafficking industry, uh, against you know, human trafficking and sex slavery. Uh, and the people that I've met were in India, and uh, I was asking them about how they go about it. I thought that mainly they would try and sort of go specifically to the location, rescue people, and that's part of it, actually. One part was intervention, and they would go to train stations, and actually, I don't know if they could tell. Uh, they have a pretty good idea if they saw certain situations, if a child might have been you know, abducted by someone. Um, but that wasn't the main way. The most effective way of actually attacking this problem was to go into the villages and undo the lies that they'd been told. And so they go into villages and make people aware, make parents aware, that when you're, when, you're, when you're sending your child off, they're not actually getting a job, a nice job and earning money. They're actually going to be trafficked and made sex slaves. And so the way that they liberate from this problem is by bringing the truth and undoing these lies. The truth sets us free. And you know, this is a statement, isn't it, that's universally agreed upon. Everyone will agree with this statement that the truth sets us free. The real issue is, what is the truth that we believe? Jesus tells us in his teaching what that truth is. Have a look at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So yes, all kinds of truth sets us free in lots of different ways. But if you want freedom from sin and death and mastery of the devil, Jesus is the only one who can free you. Now how does he free us? Two ways. First way is by new birth. He brings about new birth. We said before, we need to be born again. How does it happen? How are we born again? By believing the gospel. If you want to know, if you're sitting here and you don't know Christ and you're thinking, how can I... How can I be born again? The answer is by believing the gospel, the good news that Jesus taught. And here it is, that Jesus came to die on a cross and rose again. And by doing so, he actually came as a substitute for you to pay the penalty. So that by, by believing in him, you'd be united with his death and resurrection and be born into a new life. So the old is gone and the new has come by union with Jesus in his death and resurrection. So you put your trust in him. And actually, he gives you new life. Have a look at John chapter 1, verse 12. I'll bring it up on the screen. And we saw this right at the beginning of the book. To all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We're born again when we believe the truth of the gospel. I wonder if you remember that old school movie, Called The Matrix. I'm still living in the 90s with my favorite movies. And um, The Matrix was that popular movie where humans are enslaved by this, these intelligent machines. And um, without knowing it, all human beings are kind of enslaved. And they live in this, uh, their world is basically this imaginary cyber world that doesn't really, it's not really real. And there are these people who are free who are sort of plugging into this matrix and trying to find people who might believe the truth. And free them. And Morpheus is one of these guys who comes in to free. And he meets Neo. And Neo is one of these guys who's open to the truth. And at one point, Morpheus says, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. And, and Neo says, what truth? And Morpheus says that you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage. And you might know the scene. And Morpheus offers him two pills, a red one and a blue one. And the red one—if he takes it, he's believing Morpheus, and they can track him down and locate him and free him. And so he does that. He believes Morpheus. He takes the pill, and they free him from the Matrix. Now, the gospel has that kind of power. If you believe it, it'll set you free by bringing about this union with Jesus in His death and resurrection. A couple of verses: James 1.18. God chose to give us birth. How? How does He give us birth? Through the Word of Truth. And look at 1 Peter one twenty three. For you have been born again. How? Not by doing anything yourself, but through the living and enduring word of God. So the gospel sets you free. Just by believing, putting a trust in Jesus, what he's done. Now, there's another way the truth sets us free. And this is really relevant if you've been walking with Jesus and you know you're born again. But perhaps you're not enjoying the freedom from sin that you think you should have. And this is common for all of us, isn't it? If you've been walking with Jesus, if you know Jesus, sometimes we ask, why aren't I more free? I don't feel free. I know the Bible says I'm actually no longer a slave to sin, but you know what? I often feel like I am. What's the problem? Is the problem uh, that the gospel's not really powerful. That's not the problem. The problem is that we're believing lies. That we're actually believing lies we don't have to believe, and that. makes us live more like slaves than sons. You're actually free, but you're believing lies. Now, just as the truth sets us free, so too lies actually enslave us. They're two sides of the same idea, aren't they? Logically, the same idea. Truth sets us free, lies bring bondage. Now, think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Did they have a sinful nature before, before the fall? No, they didn't. Why did they sin if they didn't have a sinful nature? Because they believed Satan's lie. That's what enslaved them in the first place, was believing a lie. A lie about themselves, that they needed something that God didn't give them. And a lie about God, that God really wasn't with them. He didn't really have their most joy in mind, that he was against them, fearful of them. What lies are you tempted to believe about God? Or about yourself? Some of us believe uh, things about God Really, based on our authority figures growing up, not really truth about God. And that makes us struggle in all kinds of ways. What are some lies you're tempted to believe? You know, you're not a slave to sin if you've believed in Christ, but Satan still has power over you if you believe lies, if you take the bait of his lies. That's really his only weapon against us now, his lies. And the gospel frees us from the ongoing effects of these lies. We'll think about some examples of how grasping at the gospel in an ongoing way as Christians brings freedom. What are you tempted to believe about yourself? Maybe that you're worthless maybe that you're unlovable maybe that you're guilty or condemned or that God is angry with you or that you need people's approval to feel significant or maybe you believe your worth is basic in your performance at work maybe you believe that you need to rely on worldly possessions for happiness or security. Or you need to look a certain way to feel good or to, to be worthwhile. Or you need something other than Jesus for satisfaction. What is it for you? We'll put up a table here just to see how the truths of the gospel set us free from these kind of lies. And you can see the bondage um, that the lies bring. So the, take the gospel truth that I'm loved, that I'm precious in God's sight. How does that bring freedom? It destroys the freedom of fear of being unlovable, being worthless, of basing my worth on how people view me, and all the, insla- the, the the bondage that comes from that. All the decisions I make because I want to want to get that somehow frees me from it. What about the gospel truth that I'm chosen or assured of salvation? Frees me from the fear of God's rejection and His wrath. It gives me peace with God. Fear of losing my salvation is destroyed. What about I'm significant, I'm precious in God's sight, like the gospel tells us. That will free me from seeking my identity in external things. Um, wanting to be significant um, by my performance or people pleasing or what I look like. gospel frees me from that. I'm righteous in Christ, feels me from guilt or shame. Maybe you struggle with feelings of condemnation. What does the gospel say? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Heaven is my home. The gospel reality that this is not my home frees me from trying to strive to set my home here in this life. And maybe trying to lock my life around a mortgage. Or lock my life around all kinds of other things. Material pursuits. You can see how the gospel sets us free. I'm free from the mastery of sin. And often we feel like we're slaves to sin, don't we? Actually, when we know we're free, it brings real freedom. So, powerful. I'm gonna give three examples here, three specific examples. Now, these names are not connected with anyone specific. Okay, I'm just making up names. First one's Bob. Okay, I don't know if there's any Bobs here, but it's not talking about you. Now, let's say Bob is a really hard worker. Okay, he's driven to work very, very hard. He stays back at work late, even when everyone else is gone. Um, he performs very well at work, achieves very well, very respected, but it's not ever enough for him. He keeps working and working. He knows that he should be more involved in family, more involved with his wife and kids, more involved in church, um, but he's just too busy. Now, what's driving all of this? What's the problem? He's believed a lie. Maybe, let's just, in this scenario, let's say he was bullied as a child. Okay, so in school he was bullied and he thought at some point, you know what, I'm going to prove to the world that I'm a success, that I'm worthwhile, that I'm better than those lowlifes who bullied me and I'm going to work extremely hard. So this lie actually enslaves him, locks him into this kind of life that actually the gospel's freed him from. Does that make sense? This is the way the gospel sets us free. What does Bob need to realise? That he's completing Christ. Christ. He's already worthwhile perfectly. He, he needs to embrace the reality that God said to Jesus, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. Second example, Jane is a little too obsessed in what she looks like. Every day she spends a lot of time choosing clothes and getting her appearance right. It's a bit of an obsession for her. She feels down if she goes through a day without someone commenting on what she looks like. She spends a lot of money on expensive clothes. Now, what's the problem here? She knows it's a problem. She realises one day um, in her younger life, someone told her she was plain and overweight. And so she connected her worth and identity to what she looked like. And since then, that's been driving her and enslaving her in different ways. Even though she's free in Christ, what does she need to realise? She's beautiful in Christ, perfect in Christ. That's the gospel reality. Third example, take a guy called Scott. Scott struggles with pornography, and he's been so much caught in this thing. He knows that he's free from sin, but this thing is over him all the time. He's repented again and again. He's not free from it. What's the problem? Maybe Scott growing up uh, ne- never felt, now not all of the things are just lies growing up, right? Some we might believe more recently. But let's say Scott believed the lies that, that came from his dad. When his dad never ever said he was proud of him. Never ever said, son, I'm proud of him had to look for that elsewhere so he's driven Scott's driven to feel like a man he needs to feel like a man and actually without realizing it he goes to pornography because that's where he feels like a man and so we have all these problems when we believe lies as Christians that enslave us and bring about bondage now my, my question to you is what lies are you tempted to believe about God about yourself where do they come from do they come from authority figures growing up? Do they come from, where, where did you believe a lie? I can tell you stories about lies I've realised I believed growing up. Um, and what might be the gospel truth that would set you free from that? Now I want to encourage you to think about that this week. And bring, and bring Jesus' truth into it. I'm going to put this verse up again. John 8, 34 to 36. Where Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Just remember this as you think about Jesus is passionate about your freedom. He's living, like it said in Hebrews, to help right now uh, with you to destroy these lies and to bring gospel truth deep into your life. So I'd encourage you to reflect on it. Actually, I'm going to give you a little bit of time now to reflect on it quietly, and then I'll pray. Um, so let's do that. Take a couple of minutes now just to think about it. What lies am I tempted to believe and to be reminded of these precious truths up here that Jesus has come to set us free? Lord Jesus, thank you that you've set us free, that you've broken the power of sin and death, that you came as Messiah and your job description was to free, proclaim freedom for the captives. And Lord, it's so freeing for us to acknowledge that, yes, by nature, we are in desperate need of freedom and slaves to sin and death. Thank you. that You've broken the power of sin and death and Satan so that we're free from your condemnation. We're free from wrath. We're free from uh, Slavery to sin. And you've actually awakened us to be free, to be slaves to righteousness. We praise you for this. And we pray we would take hold of that freedom. Help us to fight with the weapons you've given us. To uh, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. um, To replace lies with truth. Uh, Help us to sow your word into our lives so that uh, we will be living by the truth and not living by lies. Uh, Would you expose in our lives, through the help of one another, and as we read your word, uh, would you expose lies that we might believe, even from way back as a child? Lies about you, lies about ourselves. Uh, Free us from those. Help us to see how the gospel powerfully speaks transformation in all those areas. And uh, we pray for a greater freedom that we might be a people who lives enjoying the freedom you've bought for us and calling other people out of, freedom, out of slavery to sin and death. Thank you for this wonderful gospel. Thank you that you've set us free, made us, you've converted us from slave to sons. I just pray, Lord, teach us to live in that glorious freedom. And all praise goes to you because you came to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.